0: our next storyteller this next storyteller our next storyteller, our next, storyteller. Our next storyteller hello and welcome to the narrators this podcast collects stories from our live events where people share true stories based on a theme today's story comes from matt zambrano matt is a wonderful performer a poet and just all-around great guy formerly from colorado who currently resides in new york city with his wife and his cat Matt told this story live from his apartment through a webcam up to a satellite and then back to a Zoom window in front of a live but virtual audience on December 16th, 2020. It was the final story of the narrator's 2020 season and is the first podcast of our 2021 season. The theme of the show was hindsight.
1: So I want to tell you a little story um, that has come back to me this year uh, That. I realized sort of was very life-shaping for me that I didn't realize it at the time. And this is why it fits into hindsight. And I'll get into more of that at the end. The story begins, innocently enough, in 1999. I'm a junior in high school at Wheat Ridge High School. And uh, the summer had just ended. It's, it's September. And I'm looking for jobs. And uh, Dairy Queen, I, I didn't make the cut. I guess I wasn't Dairy Queen material. Uh, I applied at a bowling alley also. Cause I was like, Oh, that'd be a fun job. You know, I can like spray shoes and, and, you know, whatever they do at bowling alleys, I never got called back. And so I was sitting on my bed and I thought, you know, there's one place that I could apply. It's kind of a Hail Mary, but I'll give it a shot. And so I got in my car and I drove down Pierce street where I lived to world famous Mexican themed restaurant, Casa Bonita. And I went in and I grabbed a, uh, application and I filled it out right there on the spot and I left it. And I thought, well, that'll that'll probably never happen. And then I get a call a few days later and they're like, you know, we don't really need any stage people but we do need puppeteers. So would you like to come in for an interview? So I did and I met the bosses and uh, within a few minutes of that interview, they offered me a position. And like as a theater kid, Uh, It is and it was and still probably is like the best job. I really think, you know, a lot of people say I peaked in high school. I know I peaked in my career by working at Casa Bonita when I was 17 and 18. And so I started out as a puppeteer, which meant I was uh, doing puppet shows three times an hour in the puppet piazza. I also did piñatas uh, a couple times a night where we would. Um, well, you know how piñata works. And uh, also part of my job was to clean Black Bart's cave. And um, around the holiday times at Casa Bonita, they actually decorate and they they like go all out at Casa. Bonita. I don't know if they still do this, but they used to. And in October, so a month after I started working there, I was going through Black Bart's cave to clean it at the end of the night, as was my my duty. And you know they tell you all kinds of crazy stuff about that place, like oh yeah, you know a guy hanged himself in there back when it was a department store in the '50s, and oh it's definitely haunted, and and it's a really weird place anyway. Like kids hide underneath a little bridge in there sometimes, and I'd say at least twice in my in my tenure there, I, at the end of the night, you know I would go to clean it out, and I would you know reach down under the bridge, and some hand would reach out and grab me. And I would get in, you know, I'd get in my daddy voice. Hey, get the hell out of there. And so so one of the biggest scares I ever had in my life was during Halloween time, a couple weeks before, they didn't tell me that they'd started to decorate. So I'm in Black Bart's cave and I'm walking around and inside of Black Bart's cave, there are these little plexiglass windows. One of them has like a little spider inside of it. Another one has like a, um, a sleepy prospector. And then the final one, the like last plexiglass window is this dragon sitting on a pile of gold. And there's an audio tape that goes with it that they recorded back in the 70s, but for some reason they couldn't ever change the tape and it had warped so so bad and it's still the same tape, I think. So when you go in there, you just hear this like Rosa My Gold Dragon. So like I'm hearing this sound and I'm like going through cleaning the stuff, you know, sweeping up Tootsie Rolls, and I round the corner to this plexiglass of this dragon. And what do I see? But a three foot tall troll with big orange eyes that they put in there as a Halloween decoration, but nobody told me. And my my I like the sensation of when people say chills, like my I, it was like I drank ice from the Arctic. I mean, it was like uh-huh. And I froze, and I and then and then like it, after about maybe ten seconds, but it felt like an eternity. I realized, oh, it's just a, it's a decoration. And they all laughed; they all thought it was funny. That winter, they also decorated for Christmas time, and I got to play Santa. Which, uh, as Aaron was saying in my intro, I've started doing these um, pay what you can virtual visits for uh, Santa. So it was my first round playing Santa. I, you know, I was seventeen; I had no business doing it, but I would dress up like Santa and walk around to people's tables and you know ask them if they wanted more sopapillas. And I had this. Um, very attractive uh, older woman who was a diver who would follow me around in a in like a, like if you were to go to Party City and look for what's slutty Santa helper, this is what her costume was. And I don't know if it was her choice or if it was their choice, uh, but you know, in hindsight, it was problematic, but you know, the dads loved it. uh, And I'm sure some of the moms did too. Um, But in any case, this is a story about several months later where it is April of 1999 and Columbine happens. And there may be some people in this Zoom, and this, this blows my mind to think about this, who have never not known a world with mass school shootings. But for many of us, and especially of my generation, that was our defining event. It was the thing that that brought us together as and made us a family in many ways. And being from Jefferson County, having gone to Wheat Ridge High School, um, I had friends there. I had a friend who lost her life there. I went there often for speech and debate tournaments. It was devastating. It was life-changing and it felt almost inescapably heavy in the same way that I have felt many times this year. So the weekend after this happens, we have a big meeting at Casa Bonita where our bosses say, we're not going to, we're not going to do the gunfight shows anymore. But at this time I graduated, by the way, I was doing the stage shows. I was uh, doing the, the cowboy gunfight, the pirate show, the, um, the diver show. So my boss says, we're not going to do the gunfights because people are going to be triggered with the sound of the guns. So uh, we're just going to do other shows. We'll just do dive shows. And I remember saying, I remember distinctly saying, what if the gunfight wasn't a gunfight? What if the gunfight was just something else? And everyone kind of sat around for a minute and we started thinking, we're like, yeah, that's actually, yeah, what could we do? And we started brainstorming ideas. So for about two weeks, every time that we did the gunfight, and that was the number one show that we did at Casa Bonita, when you go to it, you'll see it like nine times. We never used guns we found different ways to, to facilitate Black Bart getting thrown in the water. So there was like a staring contests. We would do Rochambeau. One of my favorites was that we did a, um, a drawing caricature contest. So like we each pulled a piece of paper out and a pen and we scribbled it down and then we showed it to the audience. It, Black Bart always lost, he always went into the water. Sometimes we would plan it out ahead of time. Other times we would just get up and improvise it. And it was at the time, very frustrating because I felt like I was, I was nervous, honestly. And I felt very like, um, this is just kind of a, a stopgap measure and a disappointment for the people who came to see the world famous gunfight at Casa Bonita. Also I was like 17 and like, I really liked playing with gun. Well, fast forward to this year and I'm teaching a, a class for a friend of mine, university students. And this kid says, you know, I'm a theater student and I really was looking forward to an education in theater in person. And I feel like it's difficult to get that same thing here over Zoom, to try and pretend like we're actually learning something. And I was reminded of that story, of of this Casa Bonita time that like, it for me, I realize now was the foundation of my philosophy as an artist and as a human being, which is when in doubt, adapt, right? Based on the foundations of improv, listen, say yes and, make your partner look good, and always play at the top of your intelligence. And that's what we did in all of those shows, whether I knew it or not. And once I became a student of improv, I really understood that, that like that is applicable in everything, in in my marriage, certainly. Listen, say yes, make your partner look good, play at the top of your intelligence. In theater, uh, in Dungeons and Dragons, as I mentioned earlier, it is just such a fundamental piece of who I am. And I really feel like that came out of those two weeks at Casa Bonita, where I realized, and I proved to myself that It was possible to adapt it wasn't the game we wanted to play but it's the game that we did and i came out of it stronger and better and smarter and so i would like to say to any artists who might be watching this tonight or anybody who just feels like this is a waste of a year we will come out of this stronger and better and smarter It may not be the game we wanna play. I know certainly I've lost jobs and gig opportunities. I know we all have in a certain degree, but we will grow and we can learn from it. And what can we learn from these Zoom theaters? What can we learn from these interactions that we have with each other? that aren't the ones that we want that feel cold and distant, but there are still ways that we can take advantage of this technology and maybe come closer together. And like Aaron said it so beautifully, you know, now we have an opportunity to connect with people from so far away in a way that is has us all on equal playing ground, in a way that maybe we never have before. So uh, I just would like to encourage everyone to think of me, 17 years old, doing a Rochambeau contest on top of the waterfall at Casa Bonita, when it feels like those times uh, may not ever come back. I do believe that they will. They're going to be different, but it's how we approach it that matters.
0: The Narrators was created by Andrew Orvidal and is produced by Ron Doyle. Aaron Rollman, that's me, Karen Wachtel, Scott Carney, and Jesse Witten with help from Sydney Crane. We'd like to thank our sponsors, Bunport Theatre Company, Illegal Pete's, From the Hip Photo, and Great Divide Brewing Company. Our theme music is by Whale Hawk, and we'd also like to thank Kyle James Hauser, who provided the outro music you are listening to right now. For more information about today's storytellers or the narrators, check the show's notes for this episode or visit thenarrators.org. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram for more details about upcoming events in 2021 and beyond. And please take a moment to tell a friend about this podcast or leave a review on your favorite podcast app. That helps more people find us, and so we really appreciate it. We'll be back next Friday with another episode. Until then, thanks for listening. (laughs) Womp <laughs>